Mark wrote Peter's memoirs. The Gospel of Mark was the first gospel written. It's based on Peter's relationship with Jesus. What he recalled through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Mark uniquely wrote his gospel to have impact and power in his world. Lord Jesus, will you give us the ability to understand your heart, the prompting that we would have to go win the lost and win this world at any cost, as you have called us all to become your disciples. Help us to truly understand what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark constructed his uh, gospel in a very unique way. If you've ever watched a, uh, a movie that was an adventure movie with action and power, that's what the gospel of Mark is. We start with the very first sentence, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He explodes that declaration in the very first sentence of his story. He's the Son of God. And then immediately he thunders into the prophecy of Isaiah, prepare ye the way of the Lord, and declares the Son of God through the prophets of Isaiah. And immediately you hear a man on a mountain in the wilderness dressed in, in skins and eating locusts crying out, repent. And he says, I've baptized you with water, but there is one who's coming to baptize with fire. And as he's speaking forth about that, we're plunged into the waters of baptism when Jesus goes under. And it says literally in the Greek for Mark's gospel that God ripped open the heavens and the Holy Spirit came down as a dove and a voice shouts from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. As he rises out of the water, Mark says, he's driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be confronted by wild beasts and angels and Satan himself whom he conquers. And once he comes out of the desert uh, triumphantly, he proclaims, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's quite an intro. That's quite an intro. Jesus is saying, your time is up. This is it, the fullness of time. God's here. Get your head on straight and listen to this good news. That's the Son of God. He showed up. Like any blockbuster hit, this would shock the people listening. It was fast-paced. It was expressive in what it is declaring. It declared that history is changing from this point on. It's earth-shaking, heavenly revealing, transformation. The stage is now set. Jesus arrives, and he's ready to begin his ministry. And he's ready to call the twelve. They had no idea what they were up against, what they were headed for, these 12 guys. He speaks that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, that is a common 
declaration that the good news, the gospel, good news, and the Son of God were common phrases that anyone living in the ancient Middle East would have understood from the Roman government because there were placards all over the place wherever Rome ruled. They said that Caesar was the son of God that God was pleased with and that this was the good news. Mark took what the Roman government had proclaimed and said, you got it wrong. This is the son of God in whom God is well pleased and he is the good news of the gospel. Mark was speaking directly against the Roman authorities. He then drives Jesus into the wilderness to fight Satan. He is the God over all the demonic and the power to destroy the works of the devil. And then the third party that is going to be interrupted are the temple elite, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, because they buzz like flies as soon as Jesus starts his ministry, and they want to know by what authority he has to do what he's doing. This is upsetting every known power, and that's what the church is supposed to be doing. The church is supposed to be calling out injustice. The church is supposed to be breaking the spirit of poverty. The church is supposed to be giving the love of Christ and power over the devil. But right now, the church seems to be a coward, asleep, not understanding what God wants to achieve. What I want you to know is that God is calling his church back to the gospel of Mark to be that powerful and anointed apostles of Jesus Christ. So, he's ready to call the 12. Again, in the gospel of Mark, you will not see any other disciples described or communicated about. To be a disciple of Jesus, it is modeled in the 12. You'll constantly see the 12, the 12, the 12, because they are the image of what anybody who's going to be a follower of Jesus should look like, those who were sent by him. And so we see the 12. What's interesting about this group, and most paintings get it wrong when you look at the pictures of Jesus and the apostles, but most of these apostles were under 20 years old when they were called. John, in fact, was probably about 15 or 16 years old. Peter, we know, was over 20 years old. How can we figure this out? Because in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, you know the story. The Pharisees come against Jesus and the 12 and they say, hey, should you pay taxes? Should you and your uh, Rabbi, should you and your followers pay the taxes? And Jesus said, what? Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. and Render unto God what is God. And he told Peter, Peter, go down and go fishing. I want you to catch a fish. So Peter goes down. He casts his uh, hook and line. He didn't fish with a, a net at this time. He re- reels in a fish. And what's in the fish's mouth? A coin. And Jesus says this, to Peter. He says, cast a hook and take the fish that comes up, and when you've opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money in it. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Okay, so what? Well, according to the law, the Old Testament law, according to Exodus chapter 30, you were to pay a temple tax 
when you were 20 years or older. Jesus is standing with his 12, and he's got one coin. He says, you pay the temple tax for you, Peter, and myself. That would indicate that the other 11 were under 20 years old and did not have to pay that temple tax. So it's from here we derive the fact that Peter, being the oldest of the 12, was probably 20, 21 years old when he is called by Jesus. The rest were younger than that. And he took these young men. How many of you know the church needs to call young people? The church needs young people on fire who will forsake all and follow Jesus. We let the young people go do what you want to do. When you're older, maybe you'll get serious. That's not the gospel. Jesus wants to grab young people when they are hungry for life and the meaning of life and use them in their prime. We need to pray for our young people. Would you agree? You know, the devil wants to take them out of their assignment. God's got an assignment for them. And so let's pray for them. And so Jesus calls his 12. And when he calls them, Mark writes his gospel and designs it specifically according to the Greco-Roman tragedy stories. Its frame and its structure is written in such a way that people are used to this kind of story because it is the, the way that they would write between a rabbi and his disciples or a teacher and his students. And there are three phases, and you'll find this in the Gospel of Mark. There's the initiation fee, phase where there is the calling and the declaration of what they are to become. Then there is the training phase this is the longest section in Mark where he is literally training the 12 on being apostles. Any rabbi that has his followers, they are disciples of the rabbi. The reason they're disciples is they are learning to become like the rabbi. Do you remember the rabbi's teachings are called a yoke? We're to take his yoke upon him. His yoke is easy. In other words, it's lifted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the 12 knew that if they were going to follow Jesus, they were going to become like Jesus. How many of you know that according to scriptures, the Bible says that we're given the Holy Spirit so that we are being shaped into his image? You and I are supposed to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, reach people like Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should look more like Jesus every day. That's our calling to be a disciple. We've reduced a disciple of Jesus as someone who has a cognitive belief that he's Lord. Just a belief system. It's more than that. It is a life and we are to literally do the works that Jesus did. In fact, I think he said that. And you shall even do greater things, he said. Last of all is the farewell and separation stage. That was very difficult for the 12. Typically in the stories of that time, the farewell and separation stage was the commending of those students to go further and to go onward. So let's take a look at the initiation phase. You'll remember that Jesus came to Peter and Andrew 
He came to James and John. And in the Gospel of Mark, he also includes, he came to Levi or Matthew. And he said this to them. Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. You heard this morning that we are all called to be that. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been called to become a fisher of men. What in the world is a fisher of men? He said that to fishermen. He said that to to Peter and Andrew, James and John. Why? Because they would gather fish in nets. Now, I would imagine he said to Matthew, the tax collector... I'm going to make you a collector of people. (laughs) I would imagine he said to Nathaniel, the nobleman, I'm going to make you a noble prince to win the lost. He'll take whatever you're walking in. He'll take whatever road and whatever destiny you have with your life. If you're a garbage man, I'm going to make you a collector of people who will be once thought of as garbage, now precious. Whatever you do, he's going to make you do that. But a fishers of men has also a reference to the book of Ezekiel where God said that he is going to bring forth many, many people as fishermen bring forth fish. But the most important point we have this are three points. Number one, follow me. That's the call of the rabbi. He called you. Each one of them dropped everything they were doing. Because this wasn't just any rabbi. This is the rabbi that just defeated Satan in the wilderness that comes forth and reads from the scroll of Isaiah and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This man is moving and already the testimonies of his miracles at Cana where he turns water into wine. If that guy came up to you and said, follow me, what would you do? Yeah, I think so. They were desperate. These young men were followers of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, when they saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he made a personal visit to them and said, I'll be your rabbi. Follow me. They knew what that meant. It meant giving up everything. Are you willing to follow Jesus? We don't invite people to follow Jesus. We invite people to escape hell. That's what we do. We don't invite people into a personal training program with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We tell them, hey, if you'll accept Jesus in your heart, say this prayer, and then you don't have to go to hell anymore. That's what we've made following Jesus. Jesus says, you've got to give up everything to follow me. You've got to pick up your cross and die with me. Discipleship in Jesus is not an option. There isn't this this sense of, well, okay, you can be saved, not go to hell, and then I'll just pick out the elite who who want to win the lost and follow me. Every person born of the Spirit should have the fire to be obedient to their master and win the lost. This is what he said second, I will make you. That's a process. How many of you know that? How many of you are in the reconstruction phase where Jesus is making you like him? No easy task. Takes a wretch like me and shapes him 
into the image of Jesus. Every one of us. Every one of us is being shaped. I will make you. I will make you. These guys had no idea what they were going to go through to be made into his apostles. I will make you fishers of men. They had no idea when he said fishers of men, it included every nation on the planet. They thought it was just for Jews. They had no idea he was going to call Thomas to India. They had no idea that he was going to send the 12 out into all nations and that this gospel is going to every known people group on the planet. God is making us, he's still making his followers, fishers of men. I guess I should say fishers of humankind, to make it accurate, men and women. (laughs) Well, he then brings them into the teaching phase. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. That's what apostle means, sent one so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. There's the goal. So the question is, if we're going to be shaped by him, if we're supposed to act like him, we've got to be with him. We've got to spend time with him. And that's what the gospel of Mark is all about, the training that he brought them through. He took these 12 and he told them, go into the next city and proclaim the kingdom of heaven and that people should repent. They began to do that, and the demonic realm began to quake and be cast out of people's lives. They proclaimed the kingdom, and next thing you know, they're laying hands on the sick, and they are recovering. The manifestation of the kingdom was present because they had the authority of Jesus to go proclaim the kingdom. We're to proclaim the kingdom of God. We're not to proclaim our ideas. We're not to proclaim our opinions. We're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God. He has come to save the lost. And so when they went forth, he then tells them, all right, go feed these 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread. He then says, go feed 4,000 with loaves of bread. He says, speak to the wind and the waves, tell them to stop. He, He says, go heal and go recover what the enemy has stolen. These guys are being trained by their rabbi to do what he told them to do. Now, I want you to understand, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson points out that the ancient Middle East concept of an apostle and a teacher, another term for it, thank you, my brother, another term for it is an emissary, and a sender. Uh, The sender sends his emissary to represent him. This was normally done in any kind of business and transaction in the ancient Middle East. Very common thought. And so what he says is this. The deed performed by an emissary or a sent one is literally the deed of the sender. If I tell you to go to the corner and to talk to Joe and pick up a cough drop for me, 
I've got plenty. That's okay. It's okay. Bless you. Bless you. Emissary. Very good. That emissary is me. My request taken on by that emissary becomes my request through that person. He goes on and he says that the emissary's limb, which performs the action, is the sender's. I become the hands and feet of the one who sent me. You hurt me, you just hurt the one who sent me. If you stop me, you've stopped the sender. Because I have become his hands and feet for him. The emissary himself, not just the limb, becomes the sent one. Finally, in the final action, the emissary is not just as the sender, but actually is the sender. When Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded, and I will be what? with you to the end of the age. You are Jesus. You are Jesus, his hands and feet. Based on this principle, when I go to reach the lost, Jesus is reaching the lost. When I reach towards someone who's hurting, Jesus is touching them. When I lay hands on them, Jesus is laying hands on them. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth and below the earth. Now, therefore, what? Go. Are you getting this? You're not a representative. You are Jesus. We not only represent, we literally become him because he put his spirit and his nature in us. Somebody's got to get this. We don't get this. You carry Christ. And I've got to ask myself, has this world encountered Jesus? They've encountered a lot of people who don't even understand what they represent. What my words are, what I speak to people, are the words coming from the very throne of heaven through me to somebody else. Now some people might go, Pastor, you're carrying it a little far. I am not. I'm trying to give you the full understanding of when this gospel was written, what it meant. What it meant to those 12. What it meant to the disciples. When I cast out a demon, it's not in my authority. It's because Jesus is saying through me, be delivered in Jesus' name. When you start praying and understanding that the thoughts coming into your head and that the words that are coming out of your mouth are the declaration of Jesus himself as the one being sent, you are speaking for the kingdom of God. Somebody's got to start getting serious about this. Amen? Amen? Amen. <clears throat>
Amen. In fact, Jesus said this, whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Who did Jesus represent? Every word he, said, he spoke, he said, was not my word. It was the Father's word. Every action I did was not my action. It's what I saw the Father doing. The same should be said about you and I. If they receive you, they receive Jesus. I mean, how, how much simpler can I tell you? In Luke, he says, the one who hears you, what? Hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. This is the understanding of the apostle and the sent one. Sorry about that, but such is life. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons. They anointed many sick and healed them. They fed 5,000. They fed 4,000 with a few loaves of bread. They did miracles. Peter walked on the water. Why? Because their rabbi walked on water. And God is calling his church in these last days to understand what it means to be sent. Do we have a commission? Are we sent once? Boy, if someone, I wish someone would have wrote it down, then I'd know exactly what the commission was. You know? If we could find some place where we could read it, we could study it maybe. We could figure out what we're supposed to do. And that's exactly what Mark did. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And he lists all the things that Jesus did that you and I should do. And so we're working towards that because Jesus promised, I will make you. I will make you. And that takes a lot. That takes a lot. We have to go through a lot of stuff. How many of you have been through a lot of stuff? But you're still here today. You still believe. You still trust. Because God's taking everything you're going through and making you become a fisher of men. How can we comfort those who mourn unless we have mourned ourselves? How can we comfort somebody who lost a loved one unless we lost a loved one? How can we counsel and care for someone so depressed unless we know that God delivered us out of our depression and out of our anxieties? Amen? God is making us fishers of men. Last of all is the farewell and separation phase of the gospel. You're wondering about when are we going to get into this thing verse by verse. I first got to help you understand how Mark conceived of his gospel. In the final stage, through his training phase, he kept them in Galilee. The whole story is about Galilee, his ministry in Galilee. Because the ministry in Galilee, the Galilean Jews were much more godly than the Jerusalem Jews. They were caught up in the politics and the, the Roman Greco political system. But the Galilean Jews were hungry for God. And Jesus spent three years training his disciples in Galilee and in the regions of 
Gentiles. He then in the last week comes to Jerusalem because he knows when he shows up in Jerusalem, they're going to want to kill him. And he's right. And so in the farewell separation stage, Jesus begins to explain that he must leave his disciples. This is the time for them to get ready to go. Peter rebukes Jesus. Peter says, you don't have to die. What are you talking about? You're the Messiah. Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. And so he explains to them how he must die and why. And in the farewell statement of any saga or story in the ancient times, there would be a final speech by the teacher, something wonderful, something explosive. But something happens in this story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, in the Passion, Jesus is the rejected Messiah, anointed one. His rejection robs the passion of his own glory. He should be touted as King of kings and Lord of lords, but he has a crown of thorns on. It must be a passion without honor. Suffering and rejection sum up the whole of the cross of Jesus Christ. To die on the cross means to die despised and rejected of men. Suffering and rejection are laid upon Jesus as a divine necessity. This separation is not just from the twelve. It is a separation from the Father as well. The final speech that Mark puts in Jesus' mouth, it's the only thing he has Jesus say in the final transition. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the triumphant ending to the Gospel of Mark because God sent his Son who knew no sin to become sin for us. He is rejected by all mankind, rejected and despised by Rome, by Jews, and by his own 12. He is ultimately the sin of all of us to be condemned to death. <coughs> Throughout the gospel, the disciples remain the ones who interact with Jesus on the most significant level. They receive most completely his teaching. The twelve grapple most deeply with the question of his identity. The twelve follow him most loyally. And the twelve betray him most shamefully. Jesus died rejected and alone. And we, like sheep, have all gone astray. What a tragedy. What a triumph. Because it doesn't end there. On the third day, he rises from the dead. The twelve can't even figure it out. They're mystified. They don't believe it. Jesus rebukes them once again for their unbelief. But then... There is a final commentary coming from a Roman soldier at the cross. Truly, this man was the Son of God. That's what Mark's thrust is to the nations. 
that a Gentile Roman soldier would proclaim him son of God while everyone else rejected him. Mark 16 verse 20 says this. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The twelve go to the nations. This is the story of the gospel of Mark. This is our story. This is us. We may have rejected Christ. We may have failed Christ, but he never fails us. He died for you and I. And he said, I am going to make you fishers of men. He's making us to be apostles, sent ones, evangelists, to care for the lost, to reach the nations. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to do this. It's time for you to talk to your neighbor. It's time for you to be the emissary. It's time for you to represent Jesus to the coworker at your job. It's time for you when you walk down the street to know that your hands, our feet, are literally being sent as Jesus' emissary. It's time for you to lay hands on the sick because Jesus' hand needs to be put on them. It's time for you to call out, repent, and believe because Jesus is calling to all nations that there's only one name under heaven by which men may be saved. It's time for the church to do what she's called to do. Are you disciples of Jesus Christ or are you churchgoers? What are you? What say you? Who here will follow Jesus as the 12 followed him? If it's you, stand up.